Welcome to Ask the Beauty Advisor, the podcast where you get personal beauty advice with your host and beauty advisor, Deanna Lynn. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Ask the Beauty Advisor for September 24th, 2015. This is the podcast where we talk about all things health and beauty, and today I'm very excited about this show. I'm going to be sharing with you today my interview with Dr. Dean Tomasello on the topic of non-surgical cosmetic procedures. This is a topic that a lot of you have sent email questions to me about, and when I don't feel qualified to answer those questions, I find a professional who is qualified. So please keep those questions and comments coming. I want to know what you guys want to hear about. You know, my Facebook page could use a little love. Uh, Ask the Beauty Advisor on Facebook. You can leave questions and comments right there on my Facebook page. Anyway, I don't want to waste a lot of time with small talk. I'm going to let Dr. Tomasello introduce himself to you. So let's go ahead right now and tune into that interview with Dr. Dean Tomasello. Hey, Dr. Tomasello, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. I want to thank you for this interview. You've got so much great information for us. I'm sure this is going to be a very exciting show. But why don't you start by letting the listeners know a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, my my original training was in family medicine about 20 years ago, and I started doing a lot of skincare uh, in practice. And that, after about starting about 10 years ago, I really transitioned into doing full-time skincare and medical aesthetics, which involves a lot of different ways to treat the skin using skincare and using medical aesthetic treatments, uh, which is a wide range of, of treatments, Botox, dermal fillers, laser treatments, microneedling, uh, chemical peels, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of um, different procedures we do to help people look, look and feel younger. Uh, and that's my specialty now is medical aesthetics. So you specialize in non-surgical cosmetic procedures, am I correct? That's correct. So I don't use a scalpel. Um, it's it's all uh, without cutting. So it's all non-surgical, absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into some of those non-surgical procedures. Let's start with Botox and fillers. Can you explain for us the difference between the two? Sure. Botox is a neurotoxin. It was the first one that came out on the market about, it's about 12, 13 years ago now in the United States. And there's some newer ones that have come out since then, which include Dysports and Zeomin, which has been around for a couple of years now. And those are neurotoxins. Those are what we inject into the brow and the forehead and the crow's feet areas can also inject in other areas in the chin and neck and um, and those are injected to block muscle movement they are, they bind to the nerve and they prevent the nerve from innervating the muscle so the muscle doesn't move and you end up with much fewer wrinkles fillers are a completely different substance that is injected to fill in an area they're most of them are made of hyaluronic acid. Um, 
they go by names of Restlin and Juvederm and uh, Bellatero's a newer one. Um, these are substances that we inject. You may around the nasolabial folds or the marionette lines, which are the lines between the corners of the mouth and down towards the chin. Uh, we also inject into the cheeks. We can inject the lips or around the lips. Uh, we it, pretty much anywhere in the face. Um, there's some other fillers like radius, which is a different substance that I use a lot to sort of fill in areas and raise the cheek area. So the, the, the differences. One is a Botox, and those are uh, Dysport and Zeoman are neurotoxins, and the thermal fillers are actual substances that are, are injected to fill in areas. Now, are you able to use Botox and a filler at the same time? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, we do that quite often. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, someone may come in to have Botox in their brow and their forehead and on the sides of their eyes. And then I uh, just, someone I saw today wanted some filler in their nasolabial folds. And you can do it at the same time. Um, those two can be combined. I don't usually inject filler into the same area where I inject the Botox, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a very rare situation typically. Um, and, uh, yeah, they can definitely both be used together and, and there's really no reason not to do them together. In fact, it's, it's, you don't need separate appointments to have Botox and fillers. So. So if somebody had like, let's say, really deep lines, the frown lines, you know, the lines between the eyebrows, let's say they were really deep, would you be able to maybe relax it with the Botox and then immediately fill it in with a filler? You you could. I mean, that is one area where you could do Botox and a little filler um, uh, in the brow. The thing about it is, uh, if someone's never had Botox and they have some really deep furrows like in their brow, uh, the Botox is definitely going to help. It takes maybe three to five days to have its full effect, and it's definitely going to smoothen that out. But sometimes people just, they, those furrows are, are, have been there so long, uh, the Botox helps. And then a lot of times what I'll do is uh, you can do some filler in that area at the same time because you're really not injecting the filler into the exact same area as the Botox is being injected. Um, and, and that works really well. And there are certain fillers that work better for those little smaller areas like in the brow and around the eyes and things like that. We also fill in under the eyes, which is called the tear trough, which, you know, it's a lot of people lose volume in that, in that area. That, that That's an area that I try to focus on with certain, certain patients. Now, when you talk about filling the hollowness underneath the eyes, what is the filler of choice for that area? Under the eyes is a very delicate area. And you got to remember these fillers, even though, they all may go under the uh, heading of hyaluronic acid. There's different molecule sizes. So a product like Restylane or Bellatero has a smaller actual molecule size. So it's better for more delicate areas. Uh, so I, I actually, under the eyes, prefer to use Restylane. Um, and when you're looking for areas that need more volume, you use the bulkier 
agents like Juvederm has a new one called Volima, uh, and uh, or Radius is is another good one for bulking up areas that are, are very you know with deep furrows. But when you're talking about delicate areas around the eyes, you want to stick with uh, something like Restylane. Uh, Bellatero is new, and it, that's a one good quality about it. Um, there's another one called Prevel, which is also very good as a very small molecular size. So there's there's differences even between the fillers as far as you can't really tell by looking at them, but when you inject them, they it's, there's certain ones that are better for more delicate areas, definitely. Right. Now, underneath the eyes, I know you got a lot of soft tissue and muscle, so you could probably inject the filler fairly deep so that it wouldn't appear bumpy on the surface. But what about a more bony area, let's say the temples? I know people complain about the hollowness in their temple area around by their eyebrows. Would you use a different filler for that area? Um, yeah, I, areas like that. I, I had a client, um, it was actually, she was actually a statistician. She called those the temples of doom, which I, I thought was, was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I actually never heard that, but, uh, Yet some people genetically end up with their temples being very, you know, sort of deep. That area does really well with something more bulky. And and Juvederm Ultra or Juvederm Volima uh, are very, um, they're good for that area. The thing is that, you know, you have to inject a little more typically when you have a, a larger area like that. But, you know, after you inject, you smoothen it out and, and they, they do really well. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the larger, uh, molecular size, um, fillers, um, work really well in that area. They also work well in the cheeks as well. Cause you, when you're injecting a, a larger area, you know, you really want a, a filler that really uh, adds a lot of volume. Um, and they're, they're different, uh, even though you may get one ML. And one m you know one ml of restylane or one ml of juvederm. Well, juvederm actually comes as zero point eight, but there uh, there's very subtle differences between uh, between the two as far as their size. So, um, but there's different fillers for the temples as well. So when I look at someone's face and I see that there's a deficit in one area. Uh, or they have a focus of concern in a certain area. I I kind of go through a catalog in my head of well that would be Restylane, that would be Juvederm, that would be Radius, that you know. And, and it's you know it's it, it's not a, an exact science in that you can only put one filler in, in each place, but there's generally there's a couple of fillers for certain areas, and it kind of depends on the doctor's preference or the uh, injector's preference. So I guess maybe sometimes it's just a personal choice for the injector, what they feel the most comfortable with using between Juvederm and Restylane. You could really use either. Uh, I just think for me, I it seems when I inject Restylane, it seems a, a lot easier to smooth it out. Um, and not to say that Juvederm causes bumps or anything like that, but um, and it's definitely a preference. You could use either. But like for instance, I wouldn't use radius under the eyes because that's um, that's it's just not the right area. Uh, I'm sure people have. It's just not my preference. Well, that swells up um, a lot too, doesn't it? Yeah, radius is radius is great. I really love it because yeah. it stimulates collagen just because mm -hmm. of the makeup. Um, 
uh, it has a more uh, collagen stimulating um, quality to it. In fact, I saw somebody I hadn't seen in almost two years, and this isn't typical, but she, I had put radius in her nasal labial folds, and I could still see that there was filler in there. And that's, that's a long time, but some people, you know, with, you know, it depends on activity level and it depends on how much is injected, but I was kind of surprised to see that she still had some radius uh, left after almost two years. Um, that's not typical. It's more like 12 to 18 months, but uh, uh, I like, I like that product for big areas because it does stimulate collagen and it tends to, uh, last last quite uh, very long uh, yeah versus like Restylane or Juvederm Ultra which are more like six to nine months um, but you know I, I really think as far as the fillers go I mean you want to get the right filler in the right area and cost there's differences in cost but it's usually not that significant that you would want to go with a cheaper filler uh, you know uh, Restylane is a little less expensive than say Radius typically uh, so Yes, I really like the looks of Radius. Some of my clients have come in that have had that done, and they look so young and so natural. But I do think that you have to be very careful and make sure that you get a really good shooter or injector because I've seen these people that look totally overdone. You know, their cheeks look puffy, especially the movie stars. Is there any way to reverse something like that? I tell you, there's a, there's something called hyaluronidase, which you can inject to break down the hyaluronic acid fillers like um, Juvederm and Restylane. Um, with something like Radius, it's uh, there's really not a product to break it down, so you're kind of stuck with it. Um, something I ought to mention that uh, is important, and I'm not sure if um, it's maybe hard for patients to tell but when you inject the product you don't inject like a big glob of it you really you kind of do you go under the skin and you kind of fan it out because you want to get as much surface area use of the product as you can if that makes any sense um a lot of times injectors yeah i mean i've had people come to see me because of someone just injected they didn't smoothen it out and they end up with a lump and a lot of times I'm able to massage it out or try to inject and kind of move the product around a little bit. Um, but uh, as far as like radius, it's tough because you don't have the ability to break it down with another injection. With the hyaluronic fillers, uh, Restylane, Juvederm, you, there is a product called Hyaluronidase, which actually breaks it down, which you can inject to. It, it actually breaks down the, the uh, filler. Uh, I've only had to use it once in 10 years and it was, um, it was a situation where a lady, I just, we just couldn't get it right. She, she just, uh, uh, was just very, uh, concerned about one little bump she had, which nobody could see, but I just, I put a little hyaluronidase in there and, you know, we got rid of that. So, but that's so, I mean, one time I had to order it special cause I just, I don't really use that ever. But it can't be reversed. Um, I had another patient come to me, actually, that was somewhere else, and we couldn't smooth it out, and we, we injected some. To, so it, it does have a reversibility to it um, with, with those fillers, uh, if, you need, if, you, need, if you need to. But I, again, it's, 
it's so rare uh, that I need to use to use that. All right. Well, let me ask you a question here. I've had some clients that maybe have gone to a doctor and gotten a lot of fillers and Botox um, injected into maybe their facial area. And then maybe a month or so later, they decided they wanted to get some laser resurfacing. And maybe they went to a different doctor for that. So I guess what I'm asking here is, would a laser resurfacing treatment break down or destroy the filler that had maybe been previously applied like a month before? How does that work? Is there a possibility that the laser would break the filler down? Um, not, no. Um, that, that's a good question, though, because, in, you know, when you think about it, you would think it does, but the, the laser doesn't really target um, that. It targets more the skin than the filler. The filler is actually deeper. Okay. Um, I wouldn't recommend someone getting laser uh, within four weeks of getting filler because the filler's got to kind of settle in. And, uh, you know, even though it's injected and smoothened out, the filler itself kind of uh, does its own little movement into, and sort of settles in. Um, so I, you know, I really recommend people wait at least four weeks for doing, you know, intense pulse light or something like that. Um, and if you're doing some aggressive resurfacing, I probably would wait even longer, maybe six to eight weeks. If I have... If I have someone who comes in, you know, for a new consultation and, and you know, I'm looking to do um, Botox and fillers and, and laser and, and we have indications for all and it, yeah, it, we definitely want to do the laser before fillers uh, because really, uh, depending on the laser procedure that's being done, like if you had intense pulse light, you could have filler usually within, you know, a week or two after that. But it, it's... Um, I don't. I, I really don't do laser and filler and Botox at the same time. You do. If someone's had Botox and filler, I, I really want to wait like a month. Uh, if they haven't had either, you would definitely. You're right. Do the laser laser procedures before you do Botox or fillers. That's that's the uh, that's my preferred route, and I I think most of the specialists agree with that. You know, the, these you're making changes to the skin. And the you know and the, the the smoothness and texture of the skin that you know you're trying to reverse um, a lot of years uh, and and you, you don't want to try to do everything all at once you know I like to try to think of it as a continuum. It's not that I want people to wait years and years. It's that hey, if you're gonna have three things done, we can do it over the next four to six weeks. We think you know because a lot of the things even with laser they take a little time to fully take effect. Um, with like resurfacing, for instance, um, you're not going to see immediate results. The results come with time. Um, so they all, they all work so great. And, and you just don't want to do too much too fast, that kind of thing. Now, we've talked about Juvederm and Restylin. There is something that I've heard of, and I'm not really familiar with it. I haven't heard as much about it, called Sculptra. I hope I'm saying that right. Sculptra? What can you tell us about Sculptra? I don't do much Sculptra. Um, Sculptra is uh, another, it's, it's, it's not a hyaluronic filler. It's a filler that's kind of injected throughout uh, a lot of areas of the face, and it's done in a series, uh, which, which someone would, you know, they're, they're usually a series of like four to six, and they're done several weeks apart. 
and you don't really see results for many months. It, it has a very sort of slow onset uh, of effect. It's the people who do Sculptra um, do it a lot and it works well and they have a regimen they follow, but this is sort of a long-term full face volume increasing um, medical aesthetic procedure. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't do it much. It was something that when it first came out, only the plastic surgeons were doing. Um, it's, 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 it's technically not surgery. I mean, it's, it's a filler, um, but there's so many nuances with it as far as um, uh, inject, you're, you're injecting an area and you're anticipating growth after you inject. So unlike with radius and Juvederm and things like that, where you inject and it's kind of like a before and after you smooth it out, you may see subtle differences. Sculpture has this sort of, you have multiple injections and you have like day one and you're really looking over the course of probably four to six months before you have your total result. Um, if someone came to me, asked me to have sculpture, I would refer them to someone else because honestly, I don't do it that much. And it's kind of like you should have, if someone's doing sculpture, they should be doing it every day. Um, it's, it's a little tricky. Um, but, uh, it's, it's newer and I've seen amazing results with it actually. So it's not something I've incorporated into my arsenal of what I do, but, uh, it's uh, it's 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 different than any of the other ones uh, in multiple respects, as far as you know how it, uh, the onset of how it fills the face, and also the the fact that you have multiple injections over a period of time. Um, but it it does it does it does amazing results. I see it more used in situations where people really need probably to have more aggressive like a facelift, but they don't want to. So they're going to go the route of getting multiple injections of Sculptra and uh, going for a a sort of a progressive increase in their face volume that way. So now if a person was thinking about maybe getting Sculptra or at least having a consultation, what would be the best way for that person to find somebody who specializes in this kind of procedure? Probably go to the Sculptra website and they probably have a list of providers. And then what, what I would do, I always try to think of it as what I would do if I was a patient. Um, and what I tell people is, the best, and I have this like on my website and, and the posts I do on like LinkedIn and thing, I remind people like the, to the best of your ability, find out if this person has been doing it a while, maybe ask for a reference from someone else who has had it done. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I've done that with, with, um, I mean, you obviously have to have a release from the person to, you know, say so-and-so had this done, but, um, I also tell people to be wary of a new clinic that just opened and someone is doing sculpture and you don't know anything about them. Um, a well-established place that, uh, I think in most cases, if you call someplace and say, how long have you been doing sculpture and, you know. Um, that's probably the best way to go. But I, if you go to the sculpture website, they'll probably give you a list of providers, but that's, that's probably not going to be the totally safest route. The safest route is word of mouth. You know, maybe 
get some, um, find a contact of some sort that they can say, well, this person had done, and this is what they said about it. You know, having like a, re- a review from a patient or something like that. That's true across the board. That's kind of true in medicine in general. All right, so let's go ahead and transition over into the topic of lasers. Let's talk a little bit about lasers. Now, what kind of treatments or what kind of conditions do you recommend treating with lasers? Or when or why would you use a laser over a filler or Botox? You know, as far as medical aesthetics goes, you have um, these treatments like Botox and dermal fillers, which are the biggest ones. But actually, the third most common third most sought after laser treatment is laser hair removal. And one of the treatments that's gaining a lot of momentum is intense pulse light. They're very similar because uh, uh, let me just break it down to um, you have intense pulse light, which is an energy source that targets the skin and it helps to tighten the skin and stimulate collagen, helps get rid of brown spots uh, some people say it helps acne. That's a little controversial. Um, and, and intense pulse light is also used for, um, hair removal. Uh, it's a little different wavelength, but it's really the same device. Uh, and it's intense pulse light as well. Uh, that targets the hair follicle. Uh, the reason you need multiple with laser hair removal, by the way, is because you have to get the hair follicles at a certain part of their growth period. So that's an intense pulse light. With laser resurfacing, what you're doing is making a lot of holes in the skin. Uh, we had uh, the laser I've used is called the Pixel, which um, it's sort of like a very advanced form of microneedling. Uh, you're making a lot of holes in the skin to help stimulate the skin to have a new surface and to stimulate collagen, which are two big ones. Uh, so there's there's resurfacing, um, and then there's intense pulse light. Those are kind of two broad categories of lasers. Now, also, isn't there some type of laser or something that tightens the skin on the body, like maybe it gets rid of belly fat? I'm not sure of the name of that type of laser. Maybe it's something called alt therapy, or I don't know. Like cool sculpting and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Is- that's what I think. That's what you're referring to, right. which is um, that sort that that's a way of um, getting rid of fat, basically. Uh, I mean, there's there's multiple ways to do it, but uh, there's ways to use laser uh, to actually heat up the fat cells and shrink them. Uh, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different uh, procedures for doing this. Um, it seems like a new procedure comes out all the time, but that's mm-hmm. basically what we call non-surgical fat reduction and skin tightening. Okay. Um, there's uh, I whenever people uh, request this type of thing, I always think like you have to do exercise too because you uh, you you're, what you're doing is you're you're heating up and reducing the size of the fat cells, and uh, but if you don't incorporate some exercise into that a lot of times the fat cells are just going to come back. Um, but some of the names, I mean, liposonic and uh, Quantashape and cool sculpting, I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to, but those are, those are laser procedures too. Uh, it's a different uh, type of laser, but basically what it's doing is um, it's heating up and, and re- it's, 
it, it's reducing the size of the fat cells. So you're not really getting rid of fat cells like you would with, say, liposuction. What you're doing is you're heating up and you are shrinking the, each individual cell. So you still have the same amount of fat cells. They're just smaller. So would those type of lasers just mainly be used for the body and not used on the face or neck? Right. Those are usually like abdomen. Some people, you know, you can use it in the neck area. Okay. Like some people have, you know, like, like you know, shove your neck. Right. Um, but it's mostly uh, abdomen, hips, that type of thing. And those are becoming uh, much more popular as well. So it's important that you, you brought that up, you know. Um, on my website, I go through some, you know, some of the new um, procedures that you know are, are picking up momentum, and that's one of them. That's the non-surgical fat reduction and skin tightening. All right. So you've talked a lot about how lasers can stimulate collagen, but is it true or false? And I've heard this a lot that once a person gets into their sixties, their body no longer produces collagen. So therefore, these type of lasers would have no effect. There's no way. Your skin has a lot of collagen in it. What happens is you have a relative decrease. If you, you, you can't stop making collagen at any age. I don't think someone who's 80 isn't making any collagen. Uh, it's just you're not making it as quickly. And you have to add to the fact that the collagen is broken down by a lot of environmental factors like ultraviolet rays and smoke, I mean, you know, the things that cause free radicals and heat, cold, the things in, in our environment, and someone who's 60 has had a lot more exposure as well. So, but if you did, um, and I've done laser resurfacing on people in their 60s, and you definitely see improvement because what you're doing is you're going into skin layers and you're stimulating collagen. Older people, they have collagen and they make collagen. They just don't make it at the same rate that someone who would say, you know, 18 would make it, make collagen. Um, things, you know, slow down. A lot of it has to do with decreases in hormone levels and, um, you know, like women at menopause, when their estrogen goes down, estrogen helps make collagen uh, through a lot of different pathways. But, but there's things you can do uh, to, to stimulate the collagen you have to, to multiply and, and to stimulate the, the areas of the skin where, you know, fibroblasts make collagen and elastin and you stimulate those, you're going to get more collagen and elastin. So people who are 18 or people who are 80 still, have, they all have fibroblasts. It's just, there's a relatively small amount. So you may not get the same results if you did the exact same procedure on someone who's 60 versus 25, say, but people who are in their 60s and 70s and um, definitely have fibroblasts, which help make collagen. So that would be a myth. I'm not sure where you heard it, but. <laughs> yes, I have heard that several places, and I'm really glad you cleared that up. Also, some of the listeners, a couple of the listeners have emailed me with that exact question. So it's nice to have you here today to clear that up. But anyway, I know we're kind of running out of time. And before I close the show, I'd like to kind of touch on skincare if we could. That's important as well, definitely. Yeah. So give us your thoughts on skincare. Do you, do you believe that skincare can prevent aging? Do you believe that it can really reverse some of the aging? 
Yeah, I, I, it's hard to use the word reverse aging, but you, you really can. And what happens when people get older is their skin uh, gets less elastic, uh, dry, a lot of times drier, or it can get oily too. Uh, a lot of women experience you know oily skin uh, in adult life. Uh, there's definitely things you can do to help your skin. Uh, be, your skin loves to be hydrated. And that's, that's like number one. So if you're using something that helps hydrate your skin, it's going to help. Now, there's so many products out there. And I really try to break it down to like certain ingredients that work. Like hyaluronic acid, for instance, is really a good ingredient to put on your skin because it moisturizes well. And hyaluronic acid is the same thing that you... Hyaluronic acid is the same ingredient that's in like wrestling. And one of the things I neglected to mention is hyaluronic acid draws a lot of water to itself. That's why those fillers last. Hyaluronic, hyaluronic acid is going to help your skin uh, retain water. So they do help. I don't know about, I mean, they're going to improve your skin. Um, and, there, you know, there's, there's a long list of ingredients that can help your skin. So, um, and some of them go under the, a lot of them go under the heading of anti-aging. So. Um, I like to, you know, when people use skincare products regularly, do they, you know, from day one to say a year later, they will look younger and it doesn't necessarily need to take a year, but, um, vitamin E and things like that. Um, there's a lot of ingredients, but, um, they can, they can definitely help. Some of the most important ingredients um, like you said, hyaluronic acid seems to be the new buzzword. It draws water and moisture into the skin and can plump out the lines and wrinkles. Vitamin C evens out the skin tones. It helps to lift off of some of the anti, the oxidation that the skin gets over time. There's vitamin A that they say helps to stimulate collagen. And then there's peptides. How do they work? What can you tell us about peptides? Uh, peptides are sort of like the building, uh, proteins are made out of, uh, amino acids and peptides help make amino acids, which help in the simplest of terms, make proteins and, and proteins are a part of making collagen. So to make a long story short, peptides help your skin to make more collagen. Uh, they also do something else, which is, uh, is they bring, um, they bring, copper into the skin, which actually, they attract copper, which actually helps with the skin with like healing the skin. Uh, so peptides, the, the main reason people talk about peptides is the fact that they are able to help boost collagen. And you probably just from this discussion realize what, what medical aesthetics and skincare really comes down to. It's helping your epidermis, which is the top layer, have more vibrant flourishing newer cells and have and helping the dermis which is underneath the epidermis have more collagen which is like the architecture that supports the skin and the products that do those things well whether it's a skincare product or it's a procedure these are the things that help your skin look the best most vibrant smooth tight good texture good tone um, and peptides kind of fall into the category of helping stimulate collagen all right, now as far as purchasing skincare, you can go into a drugstore and purchase skincare relatively fairly cheap. You can go into a department store and spend hundreds of dollars on skincare. 
You can go to a spa. You can get skincare for medical professionals such as yourself. Is there really any difference in all those different types of skincare? There's, there's not a huge difference. I will say there's, there's certain, I'll give you an example. Um, if you're trying to get rid of age spots, uh, in the United States, you can get high, uh, uh, um, hydroquinone, which is uh, basically an agent that doesn't, they're called bleaching agents, but in effect, they're really decreasing melanin is what they're doing. They're getting rid of pigment. Um, and with a medical grade, like something you get in the doctor's office, you could get a higher strength. So when you look at over-the-counter products that may have glycolic acid in them, the doctor's office version will probably have something higher percentage-wise than is available over-the-counter. Um, so the medical grade typically, in my experience, involves over-the-counter ingredients, but at a higher percentage. So okay. medical grade, I don't. you're not really getting necessarily... Um, like you might be able to get a higher percentage of vitamin, vitamin A, retinol, that type of thing. Um, and sometimes like with acne, some, some, you know, people need a higher percentage. Um, but, but that's the main difference really between over the counter, you know, the skincare products and what you're able to get in a medical office. Um, it's basically based on the food, the FDA saying this percentage is over the counter, anything over that, you have to get from a doctor. Well, we're starting to run out of time here. We've went over a lot of information. I don't want to wear you out. I really do appreciate you giving me so much of your time and giving the listeners so much of your time. I mean, I could talk about this with you all day, but where can the listeners, if they want to go to your website and read some of your articles, because you have some amazing articles. I actually found you on LinkedIn and, uh, love some of your articles. So the listeners might want to look at those articles too. So why don't you give us uh, your website or where listeners can find out more about you? Sure. Uh, my website is clearskinmd.net. Uh, just how it sounds, clearskinmd.net. And uh, it's a lot of skincare uh information, skin uh, care ingredients, how to treat acne, age spots, what to expect with different medical aesthetic treatments, Botox fillers, lasers, microneedling, chemical peels, the whole gamut. And I add to it, you know, I keep adding to it, uh, but, uh, and I, and people, you know, people can ask me questions there, you know, they can leave comments or, um, Actually, my email's there. I, I, I don't discourage people from emailing me if they have some pressing issue they really want to get a question answer to. This is my passion. It's what I do, and I'm happy to help people. Well, we love your passion because it's so interesting. I will actually put um, links to your website in the show notes, so if anybody doesn't have a pencil and paper, just look down in the show notes. You can also go to my blog, askthebeautyadvisor.com, you can get more information about Dr. Dean Tomasello there. And I know I'm going to get a lot of email questions from this episode, so you're going to have to come back. Anyway, thank you very much, Dr. Tomasello. It's been a pleasure. Hey, my pleasure. You have a great afternoon, okay? All right, I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, all right. Talk to you soon. 